Hello, and welcome to Seriously Pointless Conversations About Culture, the podcast where myself and a few of my friends get together and discuss nerdy things. Just a reminder, if you like what you're listening to, please subscribe to Seriously Pointless Conversations' YouTube channel, or you can find us on your favorite podcasting apps. Thank you for your support. Without you, none of this would be possible. Thanks for coming by. Now let's get into the episode. Hi, and welcome to Seriously Pointless Conversations About Culture, your Seriously Pointless podcast about all your nerdy and geek things across time and the realm of dreamings, James. <laughs> I am your host, David, and I am again joined by my wonderful and ethereal host, James. Co-host, James. I like to think I have an ephemeral quality. You have, you have a bit of ephemeral quality, James. I'll tell you this, though, for sure. You were definitely in my dreams at night. I know definitely I've been in your wife's dreams because she she said the other night, well, she told me the other day she had a dream about us together in her dream, us running away together. Yes, that is her nightmare is that I will leave her and run away with you because apparently in Kelly's mind, that is the only potential partner for cheating that would make sense. I I guess I am flattered. I don't know what that says about me and my wife. Complicated relationship, James, like most ones. Like most, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily Jackie hasn't had any of those any of those thoughts yet. I think she's probably she probably thinks I'm too lazy to even try to, to step out on her at this point. Well, see, my wife knows I'm too oblivious anyway. Like, <laughs> like if someone you know. like hits on me at work, it usually makes me uncomfortable and I come home and talk to my wife about it. <laughs> And it's like, yeah, it's. Uh... <laughs> I have the same thing too. I'm oblivious about it too. I'm always like, oh, this person was really nice to me the other day, and she's like, she was hitting on you. I'm like, no, she wasn't. It's like I used to think that whenever someone like came up to you at work and it was a young pretty lady or someone, yeah. and, like they stand a little too close to you and they put your hand on your arm and they lean in to talk to you. I thought they just didn't understand personal space and they were just trying to be friendly. But <laughs> I realize now. <laughs> That was their no, interest. In. No, it's totally another like vibes that we are just oblivious as men. I, I'm just saying that there is a clear explanation for my high school dating record now, and now I understand why. <laughs> I I am right there with you, man. That's <laughs> we are definitely cut from the similar, very similar cloth when it comes to that thing. So, but I know um, we've kind of stepped into it a little bit. Learned talking about the ethereal and the endless qualities that are are uh, human beings, right? That it make us up. So yeah. uh, obviously from you guys I heard today, uh, we are going to be talking about the television adaptation or specifically the Netflix adaptation of the Sandman. Now we are specifically going to be talking about this because the comic books are a much, much more lengthy discussion than yes, <laughs> they are going to be what, having a little 10 volumes of comics. Yep, 10. Yeah. And they came out in late 80s, early 90s, mostly early 90s. They started in 89. Something like that, yeah. Uh, There was a very successful Audible adaptation this year. Ooh, yeah. Which was quality. If you enjoyed the the original comics, you'll like the Audible one. It is a very faithful, like, scene-for-scene rendition. It's got... I'm trying to think about who does the voice um, for Dream. The voice they picked for Dream and Death were just spot on. I know. So I know that, um, is it Kate something? Well, Anyways. Almost to the point where it yeah. hurt the actress who did Death for the TV adaptation, who did a good job. She did a very good job. But yeah. the voice they had for Dream and was for Death in the Audible adaptation was just so perfect. I know. That's why I was a little sad that I know they didn't get the actors for from the Audible yeah. to do that. I, I understand. Good voice actors and good TV actors are not necessarily the same people. Well, he's the guy that played um, <laughs> Professor X on the newer X-Men oh, movies. Oh, okay. And I can't remember his name, but he he's a pretty good actor, actually. Mm-hmm. And the gal that did uh, the Dream, Dream's voice, she has been in several, like, Marvel movies, too. Okay. So she she's no slouch. Like, yeah. she's a good actress. I just... I kind of, I'm sure it just had something to do with like scheduling conflicts and things like that, but we're, we're diving into the weeds a little bit, yeah. but I definitely really enjoyed that, um, those adaptations. Now, before we get into the, 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 I guess the nightmare, uh, or possibly the dream, which is the adaptation. Cause I've <laughs> been waiting. Side, two sides of the same point. Definitely. I've been waiting for this for a while. Let's talk about how we first encountered, 
the uh, Sandman comics, James. Do you? I got these from you. I think uh, the first time this has happened. I was I think. coming by to visit, or we were getting together at some point. I can't remember if it was the time I came down to Cape when mm-hmm. I was studying uh, um, somewhere else <laughs> or not. But uh, I remember that I showed up and you just like handed me a stack of 10 comics and you're like, James, you need to read these. <laughs> I think that was that was a time of my life where I was really, really heavy into comic books. I still love comic books quite a bit. I'll get them occasionally. Which, this was right after you made me read The Watchmen, which was also really good. But yes. I enjoyed Sandman much more than The Watchmen. So to kind of clarify, so Sandman is written by Neil Gaiman who is of comic book and literary fame. If you guys have not heard of Neil Gaiman, where have you been? Sitting on a little, under a rock somewhere? He's also been directing a lot of stuff yep. in the British Broadcasting Channel. So I think he did some Sherlock. He did a couple seasons of Doctor Who, which did not like as much as the Tamman adaptation. But... It is okay. I think he's starting to kind of, he's very much a an artist at heart. And I, I, I think he's does a very, he's got a very good creative eye, 100%. Yeah, so. Um, he originally yeah, he's a legend, a hundred percent. So he actually started, I believe, doing some work for DC, and this is where he kind of slipped in and started working on these Sandman comics because this is one of these ideas that he had a long time ago, and made it uh, on their Vertigo Vertigo um, imprint, which isn't around anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, it so. was it was a serialized one. It was yep. short. Like 10, 20 page comics that were being released. Didn't they originally get, was, they get bound was, in Vertigo? You said, yeah. It was it was done out monthly, mm-hmm. but I had actually picked these up um, on a whim. Honestly, I didn't I didn't know anything about it. I just I remember I was going through Barnes and Nobles one day and I found them. This is that's actually where I got mine from, and I found it and I was like, I'm like, what is what is saying, man? I've never heard of this before. This is probably. 2006, seven. I was kind of getting into college at that point, and I, had, for life, we had never heard of this. So I picked it up, and like you said, immediately was awestruck by the art style and the narrative in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just I after at that point, I just I had I I saw that there were uh, nine other volumes. And I just got I bought them almost immediately. I think I blew <laughs> the entire paycheck trying to get them or a couple paychecks because they were, they were about 10, 12 bucks a piece. I think at the time, probably a little bit more now, but, but still it, it was, that's well, well worth the, the investment I had in it so much. I loved it so much. So I've actually bought, I think I bought the big omnibus edition. Like there's a giant, like hardcover. Was it one or two volumes for the big omnibus? I think there's actually two or three. It was a couple of volumes. Yeah. I actually bought the first one for our friend Cole, who he he he's enjoyed it. I know from a while ago, but um, I don't even know if they, if they still have it or not. But they they they've, they've had it, and I'm really kind of envious that he, that he has that. So um, <laughs> I I might end up getting that once mine start to fall apart because I've read reread them so many times. But but yeah, I I've thoroughly enjoyed everything about those comic books ever since I started reading them. Just the way he writes is just it's it's singularly singularly him. Like nobody else writes like Neil Gaiman. Yeah, and you can you feel it in his comic books, you feel it in his novels, you you feel it in the way he like directs movies and uh, TV shows and things like that. So he does a good job capturing the human element of a lot of stories, and it really Very shows much. in the Sandman, where a lot of the work is contrasting between the very human experiences of the human characters in the series. Yep. And the very inhuman experiences of the inhuman characters, yeah, which we'll kind of chat more about. But we the will. endless are kind of the premier thing. But the story itself is told kind of as a series of vignettes, where Dream is the character kind of tying it all together because yeah. it's you know, the Sandman's the title of the book. But for a large section of the stories, he's not even necessarily the main character. No, yeah, that, that's what they kind of like about it is that he's kind of almost. It, almost like a secondary character or even sometimes even tertiary, you know, yeah, sometimes exactly. he's not even there, right? A couple of the stories, he's just the deus ex machina at the end who just yep. pops in and finishes the story. Yeah. And sometimes, like you said, he's just not, you know, like you said, he just, he just pops up at the end. And I love that, that he's able to do that. And he understands that it's not all about being centered. It's not like, it's not, it's not, it's not like traditional comic books where the whole story revolves around like one or two characters and you never get to explore the world outside well, of which what, what they're seeing yeah, almost. I mean, the human element grounds the fantastical story, but also 
it does a good job of showing the endless as endless. And so, like, when you're reading the comics, it blips back and forth in time, you know, centuries before, centuries afterwards, back and forth in time. And it just kind of does a good job of showcasing how inconsequential we all are. Oh, yeah. Compared to these endless beings who are kind of the focus of the story, ultimately. So, for people that have not read the comic books or seen the TV show, the endless are what you would call um, manifestations of human uh i wouldn't call them human emotions they're human like human like parts of being human essentially like, like so like yeah they're like basic functions of yeah human the sentient universe basic yeah basic functional or humanity function in the, in the gaiman verse they are <laughs> below the creator but they are above the small g gods yes and so dream as the name implies, is the Lord of the Dream World. Yeah. His function is to ensure the dreaming continues to exist. He yep. inspires hope and terror and keeps humanity creatively churning yep. through the ages. And then you have a bunch of other ones. Desire, despair, despair destruction, destruction, death, delirium, who delirium, yeah. used to be delight, delight, but has been corrupted over time and has become delirium, which I thought was wonderful. Yes. And destiny. So kind of Yeah, then you also have death as well. And death. So, so hitting on like the six like big beats of human experience. Yeah. You could slice it up differently, but I think it hits the high points at least. Oh yeah, hundred percent. So and it, it's really interesting and they all it's funny how they go through it, but they all they all consider themselves related and they're all part of that endless family. They're part they, of a family. And so yeah. they are part individuals so on some extent they are people mm-hmm. and to some extent they are a function of the universe yep to the point even where like if one of them were to die another one would just pop up and keep on continuing they are which is they yeah. are truly endless. without giving too much without away giving too much away they are truly this and they talk about that early on in the comics so oh yeah 100 percent. so and in in it's interesting though too that you, you bring that up so that's one of the things I was I was wondering what they were going to do with with the TV television adaptation, which that's actually something I want to talk about real quick. Um, I, is, did. I didn't know what they were going to do with it because this has been in production hell for a little while. So yeah, because they actually if they announced it, so it was weird. Um, I'll start at the beginning though with this. So they originally announced that they were going to do a film in 1991, which I don't know how they would have done that. How in the world would you do a film? A lot of special effects, a lot of money. You could probably. maybe fit the first story arc where, like, you know, Dream is captured and frees himself into a film, and maybe that's what they were. That's do. all they were going to do, just like do preludes and nocturnes in one film. So, if you have to think about this as well, though, too, this was also coming off the heels of the Tim Burton Batman franchise. That's true, and so they were looking at unique properties to maybe make films out of, and this is, you know, they just. They thought, hey, this is kind of dark and gritty from the Vertigo line. Maybe mm-hmm. we'll go with this because this was also at the point that, you know, Frank Miller was coming out with Sin City and all these mm-hmm. things were in the Dark Knight. And uh, Frank Miller's Dark Knight was also coming out, too. So it's all it's all much more gritty. So yeah, something gritty and dark. So they were kind of thinking, oh, maybe we can kind of do something that's kind of dark and, and brooding as well. But no, unfortunately, that never is definitely on the gritty, edgy side of things, especially considering it was written in the early 90s. Oh, yeah, 100 I mean, percent. So I just think it's held up immensely well. But oh, definitely. from that point, they kind of decided, uh, I guess, Neil Gaiman. So he's definitely very much very good about maintaining creative rights and control over, you know, stuff, creative yeah. safe. So over a lot of his stuff, a lot of his, especially considering how tied to DC this was, I didn't realize he still owned the rights to his own stuff. I well, he DC had ended up owning it by the end of it. He all. was, he, I think they'd had, it, they came to a compromise. He got a better under the shtick than Alan Moore did. Yeah. Alan Moore got royally, part of my French, he got royally fucked, honestly. Yeah. So he, he, he has pretty much no say so in like the Watchmen characters, and that's why you've seen this T the TV show and all that other stuff. So it's it, it's it's definitely kind of comes on the back of like what you have in your contract and where you come from. And I think they just I think DC unfortunately they took advantage of Alan Moore, and I think I, Neil had been said of Marvel back in the day too. Like yeah, if if you wanted to get published, you had to come to one of the big names, and yep. they they had all the power in those relationships, and that's unfortunately kind of where it came down but it's it's definitely changed and that's why you have off had offshoots like image comments dark horse mm-hmm. uh and these guys kind of put creators first which 
that's why I've always been a big proponent of Dark Horse and I'm an image comics too. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think I've bought a DC or Marvel comic in years, James. <laughs> so it's, except for the big fun ones. To the point where like Dark Horse, whenever they found out they were going to lose the rights to some of these series, they just released them all for free a few days before. <laughs> just kind of like a, it's like, hey guys, get it like a, good. They thumbed their noses at uh, at some of these, at the two big, the, 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 the big two essentially, so. It's like, do you bite your thumb at least, sir? It's like, no, sir, but I do bite my thumb, sir. Uh, that's right, but, but not at you. Then who did you bite your thumb at? <laughs> So, anyways, a little Shakespeare, a little, little, a little, a little Romeo and Juliet for you kids. I'm sure you guys will read it sometime in high school. But I, I enjoyed this to the extent that um, I, I, I was eager enough that I kept pretty good tabs on a lot of what was going on, what was going to be happening within this series, um, because they actually announced that they were going to be doing a TV series back in 2013, and then in, oh yeah, been years. And then they also even announced one and uh, announced it in um, uh, 2016. I think actually it was Joseph Gordon. I'm glad they didn't do it too soon because I feel like it. This is a series that really needed CG to do it justice. Well, I think the type of budget that goes into series now. I think the problem they were having with it was they couldn't get anybody. They hey, they could get some actors, some decent actors to get to get signed on. Like they had Joseph Gordon Levitt signed on, and. He's the kid from uh, uh, Third Rock or Third Rock from the Sun yeah. and um, the last Batman movie. Uh, he probably good. People hypothesize he was supposed to play Robin. But anyways, um, anyways, he he it kind of got stuck in that like nobody really wanted to hook on and produce it, essentially. Yeah. Uh, eventually, I guess they got a buyer out of Netflix because mm-hmm. um, Netflix is just looking f- for money to blow and supposedly 15 million an episode for this so yep and i was like you gotta be kidding me it shows it shows in the the quality of actors the sets and everything the amount of the sheer amount of cg they've put oh my god yeah but wow 15 million episodes yeah it it was ridiculous so i i will be interested to see like i said if they continue if they're gonna do a second season or not like considering the, the praise that it's gotten um, but eventually, they finally they were able to to announce. They announced, I think it was back in 2020, that they were going to release. They they had started inter production, and that Neil Gaiman was kind of heading the project a lot more. And he mm-hmm. he wasn't going to be directing it, but he is going. He was going to be heavily involved. Which I I was thank God. I whenever you hear that an artist is involved in something that they created, I was relieved, especially since he's a well known director anyway. Oh yeah. If he hadn't been involved, I probably wouldn't have watched it. Yeah, hundred a hundred percent. I I will I will agree with you on that. But then on top of that, though, like, they had they started to get some some decent talent on there. Um, they started calling out. Uh, I will say the casting on this has been for the most part spot on. So, do you want to? Let me ask you this before we get into what the you know the cast and crew and all that stuff. Do you want to go over um, the who was involved in it, cast wise? director wise and then we can kind of start to get and figure out how we felt about the adaptation whatever way you want to go okay so let's go this way a little bit so they actually pulled a guy that i've never heard of um to play dream uh is tom uh sturridge mm-hmm. um he is spot on he's got the brood down it's great he's got the brood down he does that little smirk to himself when yeah. Dream is slightly amused yeah that captures the comics he's got that very angular almost emaciated frame oh my lord yes with a little bit of pale makeup i mean he, oh yeah he looks like dream lord so i will uh, I, I think that was amazingly well done let me let me rattle off some of the other folks that you you guys might know um we got gwendolyn christie she planned to play lucifer she actually played brianna tarth on game of thrones you got mm-hmm. gina coleman she played the gender bender uh john constantine she actually plays joanna constantine which we'll talk about a little bit later yeah you got Boyd Holbrook, who played the Corinthian. He did a great job. A great job. You got Mason Alexander, who plays Desire. Uh, Kirby uh, Howell Baptiste, who plays Death. She did an amazing job. I love that. Um, uh, David uh, Thubilis, which played, he played Dr. Destiny, which that is, he did a really good, they didn't make him nearly gross enough like they did in the, in the, in the comic books. They but. toned the gross factor of him way down. Oh, yeah. But they gave him a nice little story arc. We'll talk about that more. I had I had mixed feelings about John D's kind of John D. Arc. Yes. Yeah. Um. You got Charles Dance. Uh. He played Roderick he Burgess. Did a great job. He so he 
he just is amazing in anything he plays. The little I mean, scene where like he reaches down to get Death Ruby and then he stops and tells his son to do it instead. Hundred percent. Like, oh, you magnificent bastard! You, <laughs> I, you're a piece of shit, and you're I mean, an awful father. That I was love it. Great, right there. Hundred <laughs> percent. Um, you've got uh Yazin Jamal who plays uh Leda Hall, uh Patton Oswald uh who is you know fabulously known as playing uh Modok, um <laughs> in that little uh, animated series they did. It's pretty stop motion animated series they did. Uh, he plays Matthew the Raven. I love him. A great voice for that. Uh, Joel uh, Richardson plays Ethel Cripps, who is actually, you know, uh, John D's mom in the series. And of course, you have Mark Hamill plays Marvin the Pumpkin. Ah, legendary and, voice actor. I, I, that's why I was like, you he did. He did a small role in his youth, but he's really known more for his voice acting. Oh, a hundred percent, yeah. And I was, I was, I. That's why I think it's, it's only a small role. Nobody really knows it anywhere. But I was just pleasantly surprised that they decided to throw him in there, um, of all things. Um, this was actually directed... Actually, so they actually had quite a few um, different directors. They got Jamie Childs re- directing some, uh, Andrea Baez, Luis Hopper, Hisco Holsing. I'm going to butcher all these names. Maurice Almas, Mike Barker, and... Um, Carlia Fargit. Um, and of course, you get all kinds of people, you know, writing teleplays and develop. But Neil did the vast majority majority of it. Um, so he he's had this kind of idea, I think, of what he wanted for this show to be for quite some time. And the fact that Netflix was like, OK, cool, we're not going to bring anybody else in. You know what your vision is. I think that was a very intelligent and smart move on their part yeah. i'm sure it cost them a little bit more if they would have outsourced this Probably, but still but like i said i think it's an easy decision on their part though because he's like i say he's not like he's an unknown he, no. he has handled big projects many times before yeah he's a writer from way back himself like he is fully capable of doing this he's, oh yeah they're not taking a gamble on him this is a surefire guy 100 percent. whether the material carries in in television form or not his ability to finish a project was not in doubt. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's definitely one that will well, do more than working, marathon. He's been working the BBC, like he frankly overworked by the BBC for a while now. And he's, I, I would argue that some of his shows have suffered recently because they had him doing too many things at once. But I mean, that's the thing is you've got to, if you have a guy that can produce consistently, but the quality will go down. It's just like, you gotta, you gotta give him time off. And I think, I think he's kind of pedaled back a little bit from the BBC stuff a little bit more. Has, yeah. So I'll be interested to see It'll what he does. After the lack of Sherlock episodes. Recently. Well, you know, <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch doesn't want to, uh, uh, he's play. Too popular for Sherlock. Now. I know he's much too good. He's only Dr. Strange now. He's only like one of the gods of the Marvel universe. Now, <laughs> Pretty so. much. Why would you play Sherlock Holmes and get Emmys as you, as opposed to getting multi-million dollar contracts from Disney? So I I can't blame him there. So, but so I guess we've kind of talked a little bit about, you know, what it's coming from and who was in it. Let me ask you this, James. So you said you were about, you know, before we started uh, talking about this and the episode, you said you were told me you were about six episodes in. So you're not all the way done, right? I didn't watch all, got all through them. I got through the first five episodes or six episodes. Okay. I got through the entire arc where Gene is captured and frees himself and finishes his confrontation with John D. Like he's recovered all this stuff. So okay. pretty much that whole preludes and nocturnes, like yeah. the first, the first volume of the comics. Yeah. Is pretty much what I got through. And I've noticed, so I've noticed they pretty much only done the first two, anything from the first two volumes. So they've, I think kind that's of, correct. Yeah. That's kind of what they're sticking yeah. with right now. And I, I think that's good on their part because that leaves room for them to explore new things in the newer seasons, which at this point, there are hints that it's going to be renewed. I would be amazed if they didn't renew it. Its reception's been very good. So 100%, yeah. So it just turned out to be too expensive. I don't see why they wouldn't renew it. No, 100%. So let's, let's do this. So what did you... without? Because I don't want to give away a lot of the storyline and whatnot. I want to talk about what we enjoyed in the TV show and what we didn't enjoy about it because I'm going to highly recommend you guys go out there and watch this or at the very minimum go out and if you want to have you really treat yourself, go out buy the not the graphic novels of these and really treat yourself. Yeah. Um, so what did you what did you like most about what you've seen so far in this in the series? 
the work they've done on the scenery mm-hmm. is downright amazing, whether it's like Roderick Burgess's mansion, or Zach Burgess's mansion. It's okay. The Dream World, the Castle of Dreams, it's all been gorgeous. It's been beautifully laid out. It's been very thoughtfully presented. They've done a good job of showing and not telling some of these things, because that's something which, and I'm going to say the opposite in a few minutes, but this is something which uh, (laughs) they often struggle with when you do comic adaptations, is comics by its nature lends itself to wordy exposition, because you've got all this room on the panel. What are you talking about, James? And the characters are frozen in a moment, and so they use a lot of language to explain what's happening, because there's a limited amount of image they can do. And so often when you translate this into TV, either you lose that detail or it gets a massive info dump. And they did a good job of showing a lot of that, which I was really happy with. The casting in general, with a couple exceptions, was just spot on. It was amazing. <laughs> I, I don't agree with you on a lot of those points. I know for a fact that um, the wordy exposition stuff can definitely occur quite a bit in comic books. But I think that can be in general for a lot of um it's just the difference it's always the printed media you see the same thing when yeah, you printed go, media for like you manga see the same thing when like you go that. from manga to anime yeah. like either detail is lost or there's massive wordy info dumps where a character stares at the screen and talks for five minutes straight yes. and i think that could, that could be anything any media online at that point i mean you even see even film sometimes but i think some of the, and i i recently was watching an interview with an actor and he said some of the best scripts that he's enjoyed and he's enjoyed playing is the ones that don't have a ton of wordy exposition. It all it says is so-and-so gives X person a gentle touch on the hand or a subtle look from the corner of their eye. showing and not telling. It almost, it leaves so much more up to your imagination, right? Mm -hmm. And And I think that's, so much more fun to play around with and it's so much more fun it makes that makes it much more interactive right because you have to figure it out what they're trying to say or what they're trying to do right and that's really the beauty of like film or tv as a recording medium is you can show these things as they evolve over a course of the conversation you don't have to pick one snapshot picture and explain what happened yes and so it's good and it, it is very good And i think failing to do that kind of removes the entire point of doing a television adaptation always very much. And so that was the thing I was most pleasantly surprised about. It's just excellent cinematography. Is really the word for that. How, how well they, they moved that, that kind of thing over there, too. Now The soundtrack was good. It wasn't inspiring, but it was good. Yeah, I, I thought it was pretty... It was it was decent. It wasn't, like you said, it wasn't inspiring. It wasn't generic by any stretch of the means, but it was still very good. They, they definitely had the sound volume a little too high, especially the first couple episodes, like to the point where I had to turn the subtitles because I couldn't understand Dream talking when he was narrating. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely had, he definitely... That's not a unique thing to this. I think that shows in general have started blasting the soundtrack for no particular reason lately, but... Yeah, you kind of look at him and go, why Why are we doing this kind of thing? So, yeah, I, I, I will agree with that a little bit. And I noticed that it's definitely is definitely upped quite a bit, especially if it's like these bigger budget ones. Um, I like it whenever I, like you said, I would prefer to have, I know that they're, they're trying to make it, it's artistic choice to where they're like, Oh, they're kind of have like a more of a whisper or they're very mm-hmm. much more softer sounding kind of thing. And I get that. But at a certain point, it's just like, if I can't hear them over the sound of the soundtrack, it's like kind of like, well, why? Yeah. I have to, I got to put subtitles on. It's kind of defeating the purpose at that point. So. Yeah. I know they want, yeah, they want dream. They want dream to have this kind of ephemeral, soft-spoken quality, and I agree with that artistic choice. But yeah, they just need to tone it back a little bit, just so he can be more. He can heard. still sound like this, but still be kind of talk high, a little talk higher, right? Yeah, definitely can have that. But yeah, that's definitely some. That's a little nitpick. Anyway, that's I a nitpicky criticism. That's not important. But. Uh, no, definitely not. But I will agree with you. So what I enjoyed the most about um, kind of bouncing off you a little bit. I I enjoyed the the story or the story selection that they did because they could have de- they there are a couple there are a couple stories I love that they started with preludes and nocturnes I I know that's kind of like a okay yeah I get it that's that's kind of they're gonna have to start somewhere right but I love that when they start at the beginning they don't tell you 
anything about who's in the cage. If you never read the series, you wouldn't know. You don't know, right? Mm-hmm. You don't know at all until almost till the very end of the, the the episode, which is the way the first couple issues of the comic book series are, right? Yeah. They and definitely kind of pulled the Corinthian in early. A little too early, in my opinion. Yeah. That's, that is, that is. They set him up as like the main antagonist when he's kind of a bit player in the grand scheme of the comics. He definitely but. hits, he's definitely further around. I think he's kind of more of a, I, th- I really kind of wished, would have wished if they would have stuck him in later on. Um, but I know they kind of like, it might've been just something that they're, he's trying, Neil's playing around with his creation, trying to see how yeah. things work and whatnot. But I would have preferred to kind of follow the comic book a little bit more and be like, Oh, Hey, we're missing these things from the dreaming. Yeah. X, Y, and Z. These are the ones. And then they're like, if they show who they are, they show the one. Well, cause in, in, the, particular. in the other one, I think Roger Burgess realizes right away who he has. And the reader finds out later when his son, Alex is reading a book and yeah. he shows it to his dad. Like, Oh, I'm so proud. I figured this out. And he's like, yeah, I yeah, like you, I knew that like 15 years ago. What, are you an idiot? Kind yeah. of thing. It's just like, yeah, what, what, what the heck? It their toxic relationship a little bit more. Ooh, wow, 100%. So, and, and I, I, I really enjoyed that kind of setup on that. That was probably one of the biggest things for me. And I, I like that they, they started with that and they're, they're kind of what appears to me at least that they're just kind of going through the, going through the series in a very chronological way, like they're like they're supposed to, um, because I would have been very upset if they wouldn't have done that. Um, it sets up a lot of this stuff later because, without spoiling for people who haven't read the original source material, a lot of the characters who pop up for little bit parts in this introductory arc, yes, become very important later on in the story. Very much, and like the events here set up what happens at the end of the series, which, for someone who's read the whole comic book series. The scene with the fates is chilling. <laughs> Very much. Very much so. And the fact that they threw it in there and I was like, ooh, this is going to be fun. And my, and Jackie's asking me all these questions because they she's never good, read they it. They did a good job with the Morgan. <laughs> Very much so. Um, so I guess in, I guess we'll ask this now. So what did you, what, what issues did you see or what did you have issues with in the in the in this adaptation okay uh just to get something out of the way let's set aside a superficial criticism i've seen a lot on the internet yeah a bunch of people are wondering like why is there such a gender diverse and gender fluid like why is there so much representation of this type of stuff that was all in the original comics yeah all there way before it became so mainstream on the media and tv so let's just set that aside as a criticism and not worry about it i really don't care honestly i don't care either but i've seen a lot of people online losing their mind about it and i've been listening to people sitting and talking about and they're all like oh we saw this this and this and i haven't read the source material but why is this all here this must be someone being woke and virtue signaling like you guys are way behind the eight ball yeah, really. You obviously don't know who Neil Gaiman is as a writer. <laughs> not at all. That's why I, so I, I... I just want to get that out of the way as not being the point of what we're talking about. So, so one tiny point on that, too, though. That's why I really enjoyed that they picked um, a uh, uh, Matthew Alexander. I can't remember. Ma- Mason Alexander. So he has that kind of very effeminate quality about him. He plays an excellent desire. And that's why you don't really know... And that's what Desire is supposed that's, to be. That's great. I it's love that. It's supposed to be. Desire is supposed to embody everything a person might desire. Yep. The goods and the bads that might entail. And so Very Desire much. by their nature is an androgynous character. Yes, which that's it, why... something else it could have been. It, no, it not at all. Be. It had to be. So... Uh, but, what things that I have issues with... Yeah. Honestly, the episode with Constantine was the one I had the most trouble with. Yeah. Uh... I struggled a little bit with him changing John Constantine to Joanna Constantine because it changed the fundamental nature of the character, I thought. In a way that, like, for example, Lucien, the butler character, Mm -hmm. got changed from, like, this white elf character to this black female elf character. It changed nothing about the character. The actor did an amazing job. Bravo. Yeah. Right. With John Constantine, it was a different character entirely. Oh, yeah. Like, John Constantine, they didn't necessarily portray this as much in the Constantine movie with Neo from The Matrix in it. 
but <laughs> yeah. But uh, he's supposed to be this hard smoking, gruff, hard living guy, and instead they made their like this female lesbian who's like talking about their feet, and like they tried to kind of carry some of the same notes, but it just comes across in a very different way. Mm-hmm. And then they throw in this scene where they're at this. I guess it's supposed to be an Anglican church, but then they refer to the Roman rite of exorcism, which is Catholic. And then, like, the supposed Anglican priestess is flirting with Constantine. was like, well, so if you want to do the female priest thing, you should do it all the way and not have this flirty relationship. And Yeah. To me, it just, like, really soiled the entire notion that this was supposed to be, like, a serious, like, church scene. It rang a little hollow, didn't it? It rang really hollow, and it was just, frankly, really insulting. <laughs> um, well, and, and unfortunately, like I said, that's... that's some of that is just me, but... Yeah. Later on in the episode, too, where they had the scene where they're finding Constantine's girlfriend, who has become addicted to the sand, they toned the horror of that scene way, way down. down. Like, in the original comic, like, you walk, he walked like in the, the house. transformed, like, human flesh of, like, their parents yep. were, like, in the hallway, and Jim yep. had to protect them from it. Yep. And then the girl wasn't just emaciated, which they did a really bad job with that makeup. <laughs> As someone who sees frankly, really emaciate people as part of my line of work. Yep. That wasn't a very good job. But, but anyway, <laughs> I know they had to keep the scene sexy enough for the like dream scene to not be horrifying. But yep. anyway, like in the comic, she's like grown into the bad. Like, yes, it does a good job of setting up this idea that when mortals play with immortal powers, bad things happen, which is one of the major themes of the entire series is that when Humans intersect with the with the endless or with the other immortal powers. The humans always come out on the bad side of it. Always, and yep. they really soften that note. And I think it it sets up what happens later badly. And I think so. I I will yeah. I will I will. And you'll you'll see that even later on once you get to the the serial convention. Yeah. Um, Which is one of the best parts of the comics. That is. They they had a soft, and I think they had to soften it a little bit. And unfortunately, I think I will agree with you on that a little bit. That is a little bit of netflix intervention and in trying to and i think also it was it's neil a little bit he, he had to make probably may had to make a concession a little bit to try to make this as comics by their nature can do things you can't do on tv 100 percent. same thing like you can go further in a written book than you can in a comic oh yeah and well it's also he, he's trying to make it as available to as many people as possible right mm-hmm. so they did the same thing with like talking about one of the most graphic novel or graphic uh comic books ever frank miller's sin city right yeah there is straight up a part where you see marv or not marv it's one of the other characters cut off the that yellow bastard like that's his name his name is that yellow bastard (laughs) you get to see him cut off his dick yeah you see him grab his dick and you see him cut it off yeah they don't they don't all you see all you see in the in the movie is him like grab him down there and then all of a sudden, a knife comes yeah. up, and then blood. Yeah, yellow blood goes up everywhere. They, so I'm telling you, man, they have to. You can do so much more and be so much more violent or gross or slightly more gross with things, and it conveys such a different feeling whenever you're able to kind of go to that extreme. And but I think it does. A, it, it turned it into a story about Constantine's emotions in life, and it was less about the power that the dreaming was having on them. Which so I'll, it had I'll a different tone. I'll push. I yeah, it did. I'll, I'll push back on that a little bit though. For for you. So I always thought in the series, even in the comic books, that it's more about Constantine having to wrestle with his guilt of having done basically somebody coming in contact with him, and him basically letting them not caring enough about them to go check on them and letting them deteriorate, knowing that what he maybe had brought into their house or brought them into contact with might've caused, was going to cause problems. They did include that. And that was good. That's what I enjoyed about that part. I will, I'll push back a little bit on that, on that, but Mm -hmm. I do feel like a lot of the stuff they did on that episode kind of rang a little hollow. I really wanted to see, like you said, just the filth and the grime growing up around in the, in the apartment, things like that. And they didn't do any of that. But like I said, you always have to make concessions on things, and I, I'm I'm kind of hoping maybe with well, like the reception, the room, that, like the room of the apartment was perfect too. Like it, it, it has an emaciated lady on an otherwise perfect bed. Like they didn't have the big piles yeah. of trash and stuff. That yeah, uh, I, yeah, it was just 
they did like they're like they, oh they, look they, dust. Weakened, they weakened it a lot i thought yeah i think they could have like, done the, a lot the main themes were there it just yep. wasn't quite the same so what uh, so you've gotten you've gotten past the roderick uh burgess and the mr d so talking about toning down that um kind of the grossness factor a little bit too they definitely did that with with john d quite a bit they gave him kind of the joker treatment where yeah they made his madness more approachable more human more kind of insidious and they they spent a lot of time on exposition for john d yeah and i think on one hand i think it carried his story better the original comic book series like this was a character who was previously apprehended by the justice league in the original yep. comics and so he had this pre-established art style, which was very gross and very disfigured. Yep. And this pre-established madness, madness pattern. And so I think they did a better job of making him more approachable and more human. And better job showing how the madness has affected him. But his story was just frankly intrusive in the first four or five episodes. <laughs> where they keep flashing back to him and his mom over and over and over yeah. again. like can you just finish one thing at a time? So I think that's that's also kind of the... They're kind of, it's supposed to be the mid-season climax, so they're, yeah. they're obviously trying to set it up, and that's yeah. important too. It's That's one of the limitations of television adaptations and is that even though you can have it over a cross of like, you know, 10 or 13 episodes, you also have a limited amount of time that you can show something in. And so they're trying to set stuff up, and they're like, do I jam this all in one episode? Or do I kind of like, oh, here it's coming. Well, and if they didn't set it up, then it wouldn't have been satisfying when it finally happened. And yeah. That would is a much, much worse sin, in my opinion, from a, yes. a television standpoint, is you can't have an emotional climax if you haven't set it up. Otherwise, it just feels really bad for everybody involved. And so That's... I'd much rather have them set it up and take some screen time for that. Oh, 100%, yeah. So and part of this is me just already knowing what's going to happen. That always makes things... <laughs> It always makes it like, come on, get to the good parts part of things. I will agree with that. So I'll, I'll tell you this. I think my dad watched the first episode, and he, my dad, you know my dad, mm-hmm. he said he will not probably watch it because it's just not him. That's fair enough. And I was just That's like, it's not him. It's definitely not for him, but he's <laughs> enjoying the hell out of the Lord of the Rings series, which I, I well, well, I have other viewpoints on that. So I have not watched that one yet. I've heard enough bad things about it. I'm probably just going to let it go. But. It's free right now on Amazon. I'm, I'm going to watch it, and I'll see how it Let turns out. Let me know out. what you think. If you like it, I'll watch it. But. It's okay for right now. So anyways, so it, it, it definitely, it definitely kind of, like, there were definitely some, like, you know, ringing hollow moments. But like I said, it's, I think overall, they definitely have gotten the tone down, um, especially with the game on board. And I feel like if they don't make a new, make the next series, or, and you'll tell, tell me how you feel afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, once you've actually finished the whole storyline, because they basically do the they do the the vortex story storyline, yeah. and then they do the um, the serial convention storyline. Um, tell me how you feel about it, and I'll, I'll I'll get back with you, and we'll kind of see what your thoughts are about yeah. the completion of it. Um, let me ask you this: but So far, I'm I'm very happy with it. It's good. Okay, I mean, I'm, I'm nitpicking. There are definitely, like I said, there's some things I had issues with. But aside from the Constantine episode in general, just feeling bad for me, everything else I loved. The only other like major failing I saw was that, or not failing, probably the wrong word, it's a different approach. In the original comics, you get a lot of Dream's kind of inner monologue where he's yeah. talking, and especially during the initial sequence where he's locked in the cage, it kind of starts to convey and carry his character for you. In this one, they chose to show it from the perspective of Roderick Burgess, where Dream is just sitting silent. The comics show it more from Dream's perspective, where he is in the cage. And so, like, you don't really establish Dream's character very well until much further in, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, it's just a different thing, and I'm not sure if it's that might be That might be Gaiman trying to play around with his characters a little bit differently. Yeah, he's definitely mixing it up a little bit. And, so, and that might be him just trying to see if he can convey the similar feeling, you know, through a different perspective. Because for that, me, like, you don't really figure out who Dream is until this end of the first episode, into the second one, where you finally see him interacting with Lucian. Oh, yeah. And then you start to get a feel for who Dream is as a person. Oh, he's kind of a douchebag. And that, that interaction <laughs> was inspired because it, yes. it really shows, like, like, oh, you could have asked your siblings or help. He's like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and I'm like... He's like, very much... So it's funny that you say that. They should have helped you. They knew I was suffering. They he's he, he's <laughs> definitely that goth kid 
from the late 80s, early 90s kind of vibe to it. You know, he's just always kind of got that vibe. On. He's got that vibe where he's like, on one hand, it's obviously he has all these tremendous tender feelings in his chest. Yeah. But they're fundamentally selfish. They're about him and about how he feels. <laughs> he doesn't really care about everyone else. He just cares about how they make him feel. You're and okay. Uh, You're okay. And so you get this scene, like, where, and this is one of the things I thought they do good in the Constantine episode, where mm-hmm. the girlfriend, he takes the sand back, and the girlfriend's laying there on the bed, and he's like, okay, time to leave. And they're like, what are you going to do about this? She's there suffering. And he's like, what do you mean? This isn't my fault. I didn't do this. This yeah. is your fault. Like, this was the consequence of your actions. I'm going to go home now. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's like, what? And then he's like, okay. And then, like, it's funny. It's like he... You notice like because this is what they're talking about in in the in the comic books. Like whenever you first when you whenever you first meet him or he first gets free, he's kind of like bitter and pissed he's off. Bitter. He's pissed off at humanity, yeah. And then he kind of starts to change a little bit, yeah. Even so slightly, like he he gives her a quiet death, right, a yeah. peaceful death, and that's kind of the whole point of the series. Is like even these even these things that are considered endless and ever ever there they they will slightly change over time right mm-hmm. always kind of like because they're just like us right because humans are ever changing right we're all ever evolving so it wouldn't be logical that things that are manifestations of our of our, our, our of our our very being mm-hmm. would slightly change over time right or evolve a little bit yeah, they do he on one hand he does slightly change over the course of the series on the other hand he really doesn't it's like the way he acts like in small ways he changes mm-hmm. but really from beginning to end he's fundamentally the same person maybe it's maybe it's something that like he's in the same rut that he's been in for ostensibly a millennia <laughs> over the course of the series mm-hmm. like he definitely softens up a little bit like he's not I think you're right at the beginning he's just angry now for revenge and he kind of softens down a little bit but I guess it's kind of like people right he basically definitely manifests kind of what it is to be human right a little bit he kind of goes through waxing and wanings of personality yeah. and things like that and it's definitely there's definitely moments where you're like oh this guy's kind of a tool i don't really like him well, he kind of is like he's the type of personality who like from themselves they only expect whatever the rules say they should be doing they want to do and i realize this is talking about me now which is not necessarily <laughs> but like they expect from themselves that people should do what you know they are obligated to do yep and then from everybody else, he expects an outpouring of compassion because he, of course, is a <laughs> suffering individual in the situation. <laughs> I, I, wow, you were, wow. <laughs> it was a little too close to home, James. It hit a little too close to home for a second, but I'd like to think I've grown up a little bit since high school. But... We, I think we all have, hopefully. <laughs> if not, we, there's definitely a couple therapy, our doctors we can recommend to you, some therapists at least, so. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it, I, I, I totally agree with you on a lot of those points. So that's, 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 that's what I loved. I, I loved that they've kind of, for better or worse, that's definitely how we feel about it. But, yeah. um, let me ask you this before we start to kind of right, close up a little bit. What were some highlights for you? Some oh, definitely the that? biggest highlights. Okay. So biggest highlights for me, I love, so my wife thought I was weird. I loved the way they portrayed death in this. Yeah. She actually, so the, whenever you first meet Death, whenever she starts to go for that walk with mm-hmm. with Dream, they go. He t- she meets everybody like she does mm-hmm. a, an old person, a, a, you know, a a a middle aged person, um, a guy that just got married. They even do a baby at one point. That and, was in the comics. That was one of the cool moments in the comics where the baby well, like, you what, say was that it? You say you say cool, but that sad. It's right. incredibly sad. She actually made me stop the episode. She said, I don't want to watch this anymore. It's she how do I put this? It's it's an everyday tragedy. Yes. Which is a way of saying which is something which is incredibly heartbreaking and horrifically traumatic for everyone involved. But everyone else's life just kind of goes on and And that's kind of what I, I And that's that's kind of part of my line of work is I experience I hundred percent understand. I experience that every single day and so you're kind of like it's part of life, and I know it's, how you it's feel. It's interesting to see how an artist portrays it. Yes, he. I think he does because it. I've been on the professional and the personal receiving end of these types of situations yes. where it's like life kind of goes on for everyone else involved, except for the people who are right in the middle of it. A hundred percent, and I, I will one hundred percent agree with that, man. Because you know my background. Mm-hmm. You know, I've I've been around, much like you've been around dead people, probably at least you know mm-hmm. two or three times a week for the last like. 10 year or 10 yeah. years of my life. So, mm-hmm. and you kind of get 
a little numb to it. Right. And you kind of feel it's like it's just an everyday thing. But like you said, it, once you get one, if you're in the middle of it and you, and you're, you're part of that, you're part of that, 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 uh, that part of the storm, essentially mm-hmm. it, it, it hits a lot more home. And I feel like it's good for somebody other than us, especially since it's an artist like Gaiman to treat it with so much more compassion yeah. and reverence, mm-hmm. I would say, than I could ever imagine to do. And the fact that he kind of shows that, hey, this is, this is, it's an everyday thing, it happens all the time. But at the same time, it's also a very uniquely individual thing yeah. for each person that death touches. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time it's, every time it's sad, but also that for the same time, it's kind of a wondrous thing. Right. Because the, the cool thing I was, I wanted Jackie to know was uh, like the, the part where they, she talks, she's talking to the Jewish man. Mm-hmm. He's sitting there playing his violin and he obviously has said, you know, he's like, I don't practice anymore after he's died. He's I like, say the Shema. Give me time to say the Shema. The Shema. And I'm like, yeah. that is everybody. And the thing is, he goes, where am I going? She goes, we'll know when we'll get there. You'll know when we'll get there. She obviously, and I, I love how he does that. I like how Neil Gaiman left death a black, a blank slate or a, a black wall or if you look, I don't know what the right way to put I it. I would is. call, I would call her a blank slate. Well, like death, the character is like in every person. She's, she's kind of essentially like a Charon. She's just a transporter from one place to yeah. another. She doesn't, but they, he left the experience of death as absolute nothing. Yeah. Nothing yeah. said. Yeah. It could be, it could be anything that you want it to be at that point. Right. Yeah. And it, because he, that's, that's one of the beauties of him because he basically said this can relate to any person, any culture mm-hmm. on, on, on planet earth, even maybe even outside of our planet, even so well, death is a universal experience, well, right? And that's something they address too. Like all of the endless are universal. And like in Neil Gaiman's, like in the Sandman comic, he makes it clear that this is the, this personification of dream is a fragment of the whole dream. Even, even the little kitty cat. Yeah. Even the little <laughs> kitty cat, like the, the dream that we see and get to know in the 10 volumes of comics or yeah. however many. It's not the, do, not the pale white boy. It is, it is not, it is, is not, you know, dream the endless. This is a small piece of dream. The endless yeah. in the same way that what we see for death is a small piece of death. Yes. It's like death is everywhere. It's all everything. And I, I love, that's another really good point that you, you bring up. They actually do a really good job about this in the comics or in the, in the adaptation too. Like, so the, the episode where I'm going to call this out, the episode where they go and he has to go and recollect, you know, all of his um, regalia, essentially mm-hmm. he goes into hell and he walks past the cage and he sees that his, uh, his, Natalie, his yeah. what was her name again? Natalie, not Natalie or I can't remember. Basically he was, he, he, he was, that was his wife, his he married her and tried to marry her. I think he tried to marry her. I can't remember. But anyways, in the comics, he tried so to marry her. She sees him. He's Kai cool, which is yeah. the, the God of dreams from their fictional society. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he's obviously looks like he's, he's, he's an African. Up, he's just have a tribal African. They have a different actor portraying him. Yeah. A hundred percent. Great job. Same voice. But I was like, that's, that's phenomenal. I would, mm-hmm. you can do that for everything. If they can keep that kind of stuff up where everyone kind of sees him slightly different, and it's just a different, it's just a different viewpoint that I love. I love, I just love that kind of stuff because I hate to say it. I'm a white dude, you know, yeah. I, I'm going to see things a, a certain way. And I like to see how other, I like to learn how other people see things. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's just me being curiosity yeah. or curious by for curiosity's sake. But I will interested to see what they're kind of, kind of do in later on in some of those other, uh, the other seasons, if they decided to do anything like that. So let me ask you this. I know we're kind of going a little long-winded on this one a little bit, but what do you hope to see if they decide to do more seasons? What do you, what do you, what is that one? Delirium is one of my favorite characters. Mm-hmm. I really want to see, I can't remember which one comic is in. It's like the third or fourth one where mm-hmm. Delirium decides that she's going to help Dream do something or another. Mm-hmm. And she goes on this little jaunt through like the world Yeah, where she like goes and talks to her random crazy people. And like <laughs> she ends up eventually accomplishing what she tries to accomplish. Yep. That I thought was really cool. I would love to see. That's a little bit more about Delirium's little jaunt through the world. A little more lighthearted. Yeah. It is fun. So I, I enjoyed Delirium a lot. And, and a uh, little bit of a spoiler, the Mad Hattie character who says she's 320 years old, she's one of Delirium's followers. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and she 
is probably 320 years old, honestly. Probably is, yeah. <clears throat> it's funny, uh, so... I, I know they did do one of my favorite storylines with Hob already. I yeah. Haven't got, I haven't gotten to that episode yet, but I heard it's that good. Hob made in. And it's good. Hob is great. He's one of the best characters, and he's one of the ones that kind of sticks around for the whole series. Yeah. So why do you want to... Why do you want to live... Why don't you want to die? <laughs> because because every, life is so great right now. Yeah, and everyone else is doing it. I don't want to do what everything everyone else is doing. <laughs> I just love that. Love him to death. That's one of the things I loved about the Hob character in general, is just... He's not beaten down. He loves life because it's life. Well, and at first, and this is one of the things. And then he can he does that trough. He and, well, and like, and even like in the comics, like even when he's like on hard times, he doesn't want to die. No, no, no. He's like, I might be an alcoholic who lost everything, but I'm still alive. I've still got me. Yeah. And I think that's like a much needed kind of ray of positivity, like in an otherwise dark series oh yeah Neil Gaiman's works in the Sandman especially is full of very broken poorly adjusted human beings like the vast majority of people and characters on the screen are fucked up in some way well, I mean that's and to, Neil's, to Neil's credit he doesn't portray them as good he portrays them as messed up you yeah. know like they are broken humans and that's okay yeah and that's what he's trying to show like it's okay to be messed up because we're he's all not, messed up in some he's way. Not like some shows where you find some really messed up individuals who are kind of whitewashed over and portrayed as good because who knows why they felt the need to do that. But I, he's not afraid to show bad is bad and good is good. Yes, and I, I and I, and he's also That's one thing I really like about his work. And he's very, he's very good at kind of finding that. I like that he, I like kind of when he said bad is bad is good is good. But he's also good at kind of mingling the two and kind of making you think, oh, well, and that's the thing. How do I take this person? Well, how do one I person character? Can, one person can do bad things and good things. Yeah. We're, it's like we're human beings, James. Yeah, it was like I don't think this was in the original. I don't think this made it into this adaptation. But in the comics, like in the sixth or seventh volume, one of the characters. And this is major spoilers. If you haven't, <laughs> without saying who she is, she like moves into this apartment. And this apartment is full of these really, really broken people with their horrible relationships and their horrible things they do to each other, but they all come together to help this new person. Yep. And so you kind of get the same thing where you have these broken people who make bad life choices and do objectively bad things, but yep. they, they are helping and they're so being human and reaching out. And that's, that's one interesting will, element of the work. You will see. So they kind of touch on that a little bit with the vortex storyline. They kind of, he, they kind of melded to, to, Oh, they pulled that into the vortex a, that's little, supposed, a little that's bit. That's supposed to be a consequence of the vortex later on. You'll you'll oh, see. Well. It's it's okay. I think they did a pretty decent job at it. Okay. I think they could have done a little bit better, but that's besides the point. So I know that he's trying to like condense some things here and there, and that's going to be part of a TV adaptation. Is some of the sprawling comic stuff was going to get condensed. I was just pleased that they covered most of the intro stuff. Well, yeah, they did make some weird choices in the first episode. What are you talking about? With the timeline, like um, Roderick Burgess, for example, they didn't show him coming back every 10 or 15 years mm -hmm. to talk to Dream again. They just kind of showed him once, or they showed him once at the end, which I guess kind of encompassed that same idea. Yeah. But I think they wanted to focus more on Alex as a character. I could see that, He yeah. was probably one of the more changed characters. Mm-hmm. They kind of kept the same broken relationship with his dad, but in the original one, he kind of just became his dad. Yes. And he does the same work. He does the same thing to everybody else. He takes the... And I think that that and, was a misstep. And he does the same thing with Dream. In this one, they try to portray him as being more of, I care and I'm reaching out, but then I'm injured by my father's things that he's doing. Like yeah. shooting the raven was a change. And then they just kind of show him like 80 years old at the end of his life making the same demand. They didn't really show that in between where he was acting like his dad. And it was all implied, but I just, it wasn't shown as smoothly. And I know that they didn't want to have the same scene 10 times in 10 minutes. Yeah. That just would not have been satisfying TV. No, definitely not. And so, so I, it just felt a little different. Well, you know what, James? You the, main, the main points were all there. The main emotions were all there. It was good. It was a good adaptation. You, I need, just you need to go talk to Neil Gaiman and be like, I will produce this for I you. I could not do better. <laughs> I know I could not do better. I'm curious because I, I won't horrible. do it. I couldn't, I couldn't do it either. So so in my, in, my, in my idea, my thoughts, I would love to see, kind of going off that, I would love to see the, um, uh, I want to see, 
the uh, Shakespeare episode. Yes, the Midsummer Night's Dream one. That one was one of the best. I will, I will, I will really want to see that one. Um, the other one I want to see is it's. This is kind of a weird pull, but I like it's the um, it's the the cuckoo uh, storyline. So that has to do with. Uh, I remember that one. That one's a good one. That one is with. It's actually on one of the one of the people that are in. You know, talking about that, that those broken people inside that apartment. Mm-hmm. That uh, the, it's that one of the stories that seems random at first, but it kind of all ties together. Into yes, that. it all comes back to those people in that apartment. And yes, and why they're all there. And I and I I want to see that a little bit more. Um, and I kind of hope that maybe they'll they'll put that in. But the way this last the last couple episodes went, I think they have I to though, right? Because not necessarily. I guess they could it's kind cut of a it. it's kind of a side story. It. They could cut it. I kind of have a feeling they're going to cut it just because of what I've seen, but I would really like to see that because they kind of started they showed us a little bit of that, but they didn't give us everything. Well, so how about this? What's something you would like them to cut that you don't want to see make it to the TV adaptation? I can start if you can. Yeah, go and go and start. The, uh, give you a minute. the whole scene in the Dreams and Miss one where they have the British boarding school and like the former students are coming back to life. Oh, okay. You, you might have stolen so, mine. It's just so unnecessary and it's so clunky. And frankly, that's the reason why I've stalled on listening to the second volume of the audiobook. Yeah, it's a little. It's, it's just. It, it just doesn't make. It just doesn't belong. It doesn't. It doesn't contribute to the story in a meaningful way. <laughs> I will agree and with it's you. It's such on a change bit. of tone from what else is going on. I just would be very happy if that just doesn't make it in. Okay, I, I will. I'll actually, you know, I'll concur with you on that one because I can't think of anything off the top of my head that. And when you started talking about that, I remember vividly not really enjoying that storyline because it. I get it. There is a point to it, but at the same time, at the end of the day, is it kind of a rehash of some other stuff that he's done? Like it's very reminiscent. I can kind of see. So when he did when he does that one, I can. It kind of feels more like a precursor to the graveyard book, which he does. He actually wrote more recently mm-hmm. that feels like a better version of what he did there yeah. a little bit more. And it, and it feels like he's, he altered it a little bit more and made it a little bit more seamless and it runs a little bit better. So, which is another great book you should, you should listen to. Um, definitely a little, a little boy uh, lives in a graveyard and is taken care of by a vampire. Interesting. And he can talk to the ghosts of the people that live in the van, in the, in the graveyard. It's pretty cool. I loved it. That could be fun. Um, it's a fun little read. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, I can't think of anything else I really, I wanted to say about it, but um, is there anything before, I know we wrap up at the end of the day, cause I know we're kind of getting long winded on this. Is there anything you want to, uh, to kind of summarize how you really, how you felt about this? You know, I mean, all in all, it's a good adaptation. I'm enjoying watching it. Okay. Like I said, for the vast, for the, most part, the casting choices were amazing. The actors all did a phenomenal job. How many, uh, how many grains of sand out of 10 would you give this? Um, or an arbitrary number. I don't even care. I'll give it 9 out of 10. I mean, I, okay. I'm enjoying this series a lot. There are some choices that I just think are weird. It don't make a ton of sense. Okay. I guess we'll have to see where they go. Maybe it will make sense and we get to the end of it all. You're much gener- more generous than I'm I am. Generous, I guess. Maybe, <laughs> maybe an eight or seven. I, Ooh, you're changing just, up. You tell it's, you. It's, it's really well done. But there's been at least one thing in every episode that I was like, "Why did you do that?" Just changing, man. He's a lot more different than when he was 20 years old writing the story. So I guess that's true. He's 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 in his 50s now, so he's definitely. It's, it's been 30 years since the comic was written, so he's probably had some viewpoints change and some ideas change and whatnot. So I would probably give this probably a, a either a 7.5 or an eight. Probably I'll you know what I'll make them. I'll make it a 7.75. How about that? It was good enough that I will probably uh, rewatch it and definitely come back a couple more times to watch it on my own. But I still need to finish that last episode with Jackie because it's apparently it's when they dropped the 11th episode. It's a special episode that's all animated, but it's still got the same cast and everything in it. So really, it's it's pretty fun, apparently. So yeah. um, it's a couple of those little side stories. It's got the cat story and it's got the Calliope uh, storyline. Uh, this is something that Kelly was really upset about. Oh, they didn't do the dream eyes very much where he has like this pinpoint starlight eyes. Yes. They did it a little bit in the first episode, but she's really missing the dream eyes. 
She just wants something to look longing into. You just need to get some get some, get some contacts, James. To have a little like that little it's thing. It's okay. I'm not feeling insecure. She's not into frail pasty boys. <laughs> oh man, that's great. I love that. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I was. I had a really dumb joke there, but it's gonna it's gonna slip away from me because it's not no. gonna be. But anyways, guys, um, I think it's going to about wrap us up tonight. Um, I know we talked extensively about the Sandman adaptation. If there's anything you want us to talk about in the future about this, let us know. We're probably going to hit the comic book at some point in our lifetime. Yeah, um, hear us talk about the comic book in detail. It's it's a great thing to talk about. hundred percent. Got some cool themes. That we might have to do that, and maybe at some point, I know we've I've been thinking about this for a little while. We might have to maybe do like a little watch along where we sit here and we watch something and we kind of talk about it. Maybe like an episode or something like an an, like some commentary on an anime or something like that or whatever we feel like watching that day but that might be something in the future at some point but um yeah if you guys like what we talked about today let us know if we had problems with how we how you how we feel about the same annotation let us know too because i'm sure there's lots of contentious points that we threw in there and, and things out there so but yeah um james i want to say thank you for coming into my dreams this evening and uh not uh bringing me any kind of corinthian type things so <laughs> i will thank you for having me and thank you for tolerating my interrupting more than it's okay hey man that's what it's all about good good friends sometimes interrupt each other on kind of on these things when you really want to get your point across but um again james i'm thanks for coming in here uh i will uh be coming back probably next month with the news and whatnot with james hopefully we will uh we'll see you guys next time all right guys have a wonderful night if you're interested in keeping up to date with new episodes on our channel add us on any of your favorite podcasting apps or subscribe to our YouTube channel at Seriously Pointless Conversations. If you have questions or concerns, please email us at seriouslypointlessconvo at gmail.com. We appreciate any feedback. Thank you for listening to our show.